Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulina wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa zalwa ala sayyidina Muhammad. Sayyidina awalina wa al-akhirin. Sayyidina wa habibina wa shafi'ina maulana al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma salli wa sallam ala sayyidina Muhammad salatin tunjina biha min jami'i al-ahwali wal-afat. Wa taqdilana biha jami'i al-hajat. Wa tutahiruna biha min jami'i al-sayyat. Wa tarfa'una biha indaka ala al-darajat. Wa tubaliquna biha aqsan ghayati min jami'i al-khayrati fin hayati wa ba'da al-mamat. Okay, so we left off in this book, uh, the hope of the inquirer as uh, summarizing the characteristics of the Prophet uh, from the book of Imam Al-Tirmidhi. And this abridgment is from Sayyidina uh, Shaykh Muhammad Abdul Hayyan Kattani, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And we're towards the end, so we're on the chapter now on Khuluq al-Nabi, Qal al-Musannifu rahimahullahu ta'ala wa nafanallahu yahu bi'ulumihi fi darin, ameen. Khadamahu, he says, Khadamahu anasun ashri sinina fama nahahu an shay. So he starts off this section with this quote from the hadith uh, that states that Anas radiallahu an, Anas ibn Malik, he served the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for 10 years and the Prophet never reprimanded him for anything. And uh, he makes a comment in, in his, his portion of it, the Shaykh makes a comment that this is basically implying that usually, at least for me, every time that I've heard this hadith, I'm just bewildered with the Prophet This is like, it's remor- how, how did he have this child who served him for 10 years? And the, the longer narration says, he never said, he never told him, why did you do this? Or why didn't you do that? He never reprimanded him for anything. And, the, and and he was a young kid, served him for 10 years. So, in my mind, you know, I'm always thinking like, SubhanAllah, the Prophet Sallallahu is just that amazing. Of course he is, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But one of the things that the Shaykh says here is, وَذَلِكَ مِنْ كَمَانِ سَيْدِنَا أَنَسُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ Now this is also an indication of the the completeness or the perfection in a sense of Sayyidina Anas radiallahu like this is not only a reflection of how amazing the Prophet sallallahu was but also an, uh, it's a reflection of how great Anas was too so not only was the Prophet sallallahu so gentle with him and so kind with him and everything else but Anas also served the Prophet sallallahu in a way that made it so that the Prophet didn't have to be like on his case all the time right and this is uh, I think something that you know there's two sides to it it's always, yeah, and it's it's a relationship. Even this, he's he's there to serve the Prophet sallallahu but it's a relationship between him and the Prophet. And you know, if the Prophet obviously is the greatest person in existence, but if Sayyidina Anas was just completely like disrespectful and didn't want to do anything, this this hadith probably wouldn't be here. Allahu alam. But uh, it also shows how great Anas was radiAllahu anhu. Another description of the Prophet ﷺ in his character was كَانَ لَا يُوَاجِهُ أَحَدًا بِمَكْرُوهِ says that he never um, he didn't like to bring things to the attention of people that would dis- that they didn't like that they would be upset about he didn't like to upset people like if he needs to obviously say something for the sake of clarifying what's true and what's not he's going to say it but if it's not from that category, then like they give a little story of there was a man who had some sort of like um, 
like basically he had something on his body that they would have brought attention to it normally and the Prophet ﷺ didn't want to do that because he didn't want to make the person feel embarrassed and stuff like that. So afterwards, he, when he got up to leave, he told his companions that were there, like maybe one of you can tell him about such and such. But he wouldn't do it, wasallam. It's not that you can't, it's just that that's, that was from his character, wasallam, that he didn't like to up, uh, upset people or make them feel shy. And of course, you can see that sometimes that can be different, right? Like when you're in the position of the Prophet wasallam. Like people are going to be more awkward with you in the first place, <laughs> right? So, uh, like, if you're if if the if the person's colleague brings it to their attention, is different than if the prophet says and then brings it to their attention, right? Um, you could just imagine all kinds of things like ar- around that. Like even in even just regular relationships, take the prophet says and them out of it. Like when someone who's in a position of authority corrects someone on something versus their peer then like they're going to get made fun of it and they're going to be teased about it and everything else but like if it's just their peer who does it it's not a big deal it's just side to side to side but he sallallahu alaihi wasallam wouldn't like to do that and part of it his commentary here is fa'innahu lam yakun yakhruj 'anil miqdar al-matlub min al-kalam may Allah help us he says because the character of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was that he would only speak absolutely what need to be said yeah he he's if if he doesn't have to say it he's not going to say it sallallahu alaihi wasallam so yeah, yeah, he could bring it to the attention of the person, but I don't have to. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to actually less words because less is less is more. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And the other description of him in this category is wala yadzi bisayyati as-sayyaa, And he, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, it's part of a longer hadith that the prophet that says that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was not obscene, nor did he like obscene things. And uh, he wasn't someone who would be like yelling in the marketplaces and stuff like that. He wasn't very loud voiced. He wasn't very, um, I guess you could say, like obnoxious. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Allah. Uh, and and he wouldn't respond to bad things with bad. Rather, he would uh, pardon and overlook. So if someone didn't do something to him properly, then he sallallahu alaihi wasallam wouldn't. He wouldn't respond to bad with bad. He would pardon it, he would overlook it, he would keep going, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah help us, you know. These things are like really nice when you just read them, you're like, oh, I just want to know about the Prophet them. But if you read them and you're like, I want to follow the way that the Prophet them did things, you want you read one and you're like, alright, we can go home now. <laughs> you know, like this is oh, look at this section. That the person served him for ten years, he never said anything, he never reprimanded him. That he didn't like to bring to things to the attention of people that would upset them, and that he wouldn't respond to bad with bad. And like, I need to review my life. Uh, and he never hit anybody with his hand except if he was fighting in the way of Allah. So like his his regular behavior was not like there's a time for this and there's a time for that type thing, right? So he wouldn't. He wouldn't lay hands on his family members, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but he would lay hands on his enemies, and that was okay. There, there's a time for this and there's a time for that, and being able to kind of distinguish those things and put things in their right place uh, is, you know, very important. And that's again part of the the qualities of the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is that he's going to combine between things that are seemingly opposite, as we've said over and over again. So in his home, he's the softest of people. 
and on the battlefield he's the fiercest of people sallallahu alaihi wasallam like there's stories in in medina there's one night in medina there was a sound that they heard outside the city it was like a really loud sound so they wanted to see what's going on they said when we when we got up and we got out of our homes to go see what's going on we saw the prophet sallallahu riding back on his on his uh, animal without a saddle on it like he went out so fast he didn't even put a saddle on it he came back without the saddle on and like the sword is around his neck and he's telling everyone no it's okay there's no issue you know he's the first one to go and check sallallahu alaihi wasallam but in his home it's like his children are going to his grandchildren are going to crawl on his back while he's praying and he's going to be nice to them and everything else and forgive people and pardon people and so on so again, there's a time for this and a time for that. One of the big things that happens, I think, on a, on a community level, on an individual level, is that we put the wrong things in the wrong place. So, whereas like it's the warnings are supposed to be for people who reject God and His Messenger, the warnings instead are for the Muslims. The glad tidings are supposed to be for the believers, and the glad tidings instead are for the people who don't believe. Uh, the gentleness is supposed to be with your brothers and sisters, gentleness with everyone else, but it's not inside the community. Like, we put all kinds of things in strange places. And uh, that leads to a lot of confusion. May Allah help us. So he used to, he didn't hit anybody, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, except in the way of Allah, except if he's fighting. وَكَانَ لَا يَنْتَصِرُ مِنْ مَظْلَمَةٍ ظَلَمَهَا إِلَّا إِذَا انْتَهَكَتْ حُرْمَةٌ مِنْ حُرْمَاتِ اللَّهِ so this next description is that he sallallahu alayhi wasallam wouldn't so basically this is there's many narrations of him on this concept which is that for example the other ones say that he wouldn't get angry for his own behalf but if a right of Allah was taken or a right of somebody else was taken or so on and so forth then there's nothing that could that could cease his anger until it was fixed sallallahu alayhi wasallam but when it came to himself, okay, whatever, it's no big deal. I'll, I'll, I'll pardon this, and I'll pardon this, and I'll pardon this. But you're going to take someone else's right in front of me? No, now this I have to stand for. And uh, this is an important concept, right? Because, um, again, oftentimes it's the opposite. So whenever it's my right, I'm going to stand up for it. But when it's someone else's right, no worries. Just keep it, keep it going. Uh, but it says that if he wouldn't... Like worry about these things until something that was prohibited by Allah was infringed upon. And if something that was prohibited by Allah was infringed upon, then he would stand up for it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then it continues to say that, and he was never given the choice between two things that are permissible, except that he chose the easier of them. So it's also one of the ways of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That two things are acceptable, and he would choose the easier one. This does not necessarily apply, just as a side note, you know, like uh, as a methodology in fiqh. Uh, that's a huge, that's a big discussion of its own. Like in a method, is it, there's a, is it like any issue that comes up in Islamic law, is it halal or haram, and we automatically just choose the easier. You have three different opinions on every single issue, you choose the easier one. Uh, theoretically, you could do it, but it's, that's, that's not really what this is referring to. Um, the other side of that is people who there's three different opinions in the law and they always choose the harder one. So on every single issue they choose the harder position. And both of those are not really like methodologically consistent because the opinions are coming out of a particular methodology of dealing with the Quran and the Sunnah. So like a common question that people will ask is like, isn't it true that 
such and such school is more strict than such and such school. And no, it's not true, actually. Because they're not trying to be stricter or not stricter. They're just trying to apply a particular methodology to how to understand the Qur'an and Sunnah. So when you apply the methodology, some things will end up stricter, some things will end up more easy. And that will be true for basically most of the schools. Um, but you don't always choose the hard thing or the easy thing. The point, But here, like say I have two options, you know, I could, uh, I could walk forwards to the grocery store. Or I could sidestep to the grocery store. <laughs> you gotta walk forward. It's like things like this, you know. You have two options in front of you. You choose the easier one. You don't have to make it harder for no reason. Um, and that again also is something sometimes like in our minds, uh, we hear this concept of like, you know, they say the people of knowledge often say that al ajran qadr al-mashaqa, that the reward is in in relation to the difficulty that the person goes through. And then we intentionally put ourselves through difficulty. That's not actually what that's saying. That's not that that's supposed to be telling you like if you find yourself in a difficulty, be patient, seek the reward of Allah. You'll get more reward because your situation is more difficult. It's not telling you to go and choose difficult situations. Right? There's the other thing that the people of knowledge also say, which is Allahu Ghaniyun an nafsak. That Allah is not Allah is not in need of you punishing yourself. That's the, that's not the point. So you have to balance all these things together. <coughs> so he wasn't given two things except that that weren't sinful, except that he chose the easier one, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Next next one that's mentioned here, wa This is a long section because it's a long section in the actual book. So even though this is an abridgment, it's still longer. So he says, wa qat Also a remarkable narration. I mean. You could, some of these things you could sit on them for like a week, two weeks, three weeks, ten years, and really just think about them. You know, he says w- the Prophet them was never asked about anything except, uh, and he said no. He was never asked anything, and he said no. So there's got to be a book on that somewhere. I'm sure someone in the history of Islam wrote a book on that. We need to find it. Like, what are the examples? What did it look like? How did he do that, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Because, you know, uh, even sometimes, uh, a lot of times this also relates to charity, that the Prophet Sallallahu when people asked him to give to them charitably, he would always give Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I've heard stories of people who, like, they take this so seriously that they'll basically take out loans against themselves to give to someone else when they ask. You know, and without telling the person. But they'll be like, okay, come back, and I'll, I'll give you something. And then they'll actually go and take a loan so that they can give this person because they're like the Prophet them never said no to someone who asked. Oh, that's remarkable. I'm not saying you should do that. Make your own, <laughs> uh, make your own judicial, uh, well-planned financial decisions. But I'm just saying that, uh, the, you know, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, khayru khanqillah. He's the best of God's creation. وَكَانَ يَقْبَلُ بِحَدِيثِهِ عَلَىٰ أَشَرُ الْقَوْمِ يَتَأَلَّفُهُمْ بِذَلِكَ So he's saying that the Prophet them would actually, like the worst of the people, or the people that they were, were the most, uh, you can expect currently like the most challenges from them and stuff, he would go to them and try to talk to them and, and build a relationship with them. And in doing so, he's going to, inshallah, better their situation and also, like, limit their harm. 
right? If he builds a relationship with them, so يتألفهم, and he's trying to bring their hearts closer. So you go to the most difficult of people and try to bring their hearts closer and talk to them. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And uh, if if he spoke amongst his followers and those who were sitting with them, they would they would kind of like tilt their heads a little bit and sit in absolute motionless as if birds were sitting on their head. Uh, you imagine the people that when they're sitting with the Prophet Sallallahu and he's talking to them, they sit with such stillness and such reverence, it, you would think like a bird was sitting on their head, they didn't want to disturb the bird. That's how they sit while he's talking to them. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And if he went quiet, then they would talk. And they wouldn't like, you know when you're in a group of people and... Um, they're like uh, competing to get their word in. Like everyone's trying to get their word in, and there's a big. Uh, they wouldn't do that with him. They wouldn't be like figuring out, arguing, trying to figure out who's going to talk first, talking over each other, and stuff like that. Whoever, whenever one person was speaking, everybody else would be silent. And when that person stopped speaking, then someone else would talk. So basically, there'd be. What do they use it in the. Uh, what do they use now in the. One, one, one mic, something? One mic, one voice. They use it in like these organizing things now. One mic, one voice. That's what they would do in the company of the Prophet Wasallam. When they're in a gathering, he would laugh from what they laugh at. And he would be like surprised and amazed at the kind of things that they would be surprised and amazed at. He'd engage in conversation with them like, like they would be in conversation. Of course, they're also going to make sure that their conversation in front of the Prophet This is We always like one-sided analysis. I've heard people talk about this. Like, we find these shiuch, they're like so uptight and stuff, they don't want to have any conversations with anyone and have... Yeah, because your conversation's haram. Like, you want to have a conversation that's haram in front of the person and expect them to just partake in it with you like everything's okay. Uh, if you want to have like a regular conversation about something useful, I'm sure they'd be fine to sit and talk about it and like discuss issues of the community and ways to use our money better and how we can do good as a people and stuff like that and tell stories that are just like culturally relevant, whatever. Like all of that's fine, no biggie, right? But if you want them to like sit with you and just, uh, you know, do weird stuff, <laughs> you're going to be on your own. <coughs> وَيَصْبِرُ لِلْغَرِيبِ عَلَى الْجَفْوَةِ فِي مَنْطِقِهِ وَمَسْأَنَتِهِ So, and, and if the, uh, if a person that came, we just covered this actually in the, in the class, I didn't realize that it's the same narration. Uh, when people would come uh, from outside of Medina, so, you know, like every group of people, they have a way of doing things. The people that are around the Prophet them, they know how to engage with the Prophet. They know how to talk to him, they know the limits, they know what to do, what not to do, so on and so forth. When people come from out of town, now they're going to have different culture and different habits, behaviors, so on. So he's saying when a person came from a gharib, someone else, came from outside, then they, if they were like harsh in their speech, if they were harsh in the way that they asked questions and stuff like that, the Prophet them would be patient with them. Uh, then if they're in a gathering and they talk about worldly things, then he would talk about worldly things. And if they talked about things related to the hereafter, he would talk about things related to the hereafter. them. I think a big part of this is like, I used to take this as a principle, which was, you know, part of the reason it's so important to study the life of the Prophet them is that it is a measuring stick by which to judge all kinds of other things. 
So if I know how the Prophet ﷺ was, then I know that like this behavior here, you know, Allahu Alam, what's going on with the person, I don't have to judge them or something, but like it's not really in line with how the Prophet ﷺ would do things. Or this understanding of Islam, it's making people in a way that doesn't really like reflect what's here in, 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 in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So like one of the one of the principles that I used to kind of like hold when we were studying, because when you're studying you're exposed to like all kinds of ideas. We're always exposed to all kinds of ideas, but when that's like the world you're in, you're exposed to all kinds of things, right? So one of the things that I used to always think about is the Prophet ﷺ was the most religious person and he was the most functional person, right? Like obviously he's the one who cares about Allah the most and he's entirely functional and reasonable and everyone loves him and they can get along with him in the society that he lives in. Before and after Mecca, right? Like in Mecca and after Mecca. In Medina, you could say, oh, it's all his followers and like everything is the culture of Islam anyways. That's true in a sense. But even in Mecca, people liked him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They might not agree with him, but they liked him. And they respected him and they could get along with him and stuff like that. Right? So like if, if the understanding of the religion is producing some sort of like utter dysfunctionality, then it's, there's something that needs to be looked at. Right? There's some, some, some uh, thought that needs to happen around that. So he sallallahu would be patient with them. If they talked about the dunya, he talked about the dunya. They talked about the akhirah, he talked about the akhirah. He wouldn't keep anything for the next day. Meaning like if he had something and he was going to give it out, or he had a responsibility that he needed to fulfill or something, nothing would be pending. If it can be done, it's getting done. He's not leaving it for tomorrow. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, and he would accept gifts and reward people for them. He would, be, you know, uh, repay them, repay gifts. We, we talked about the story of Salman and Fadisi, I think, radiallahu an. We don't want to go off on it. It's a long tangent, but it's a very important story. Uh, I'll make one one observation. Did we do this last week? No, it was in the khutbah. Uh, well, there's one, I think key observation I've been thinking about with the story of Salman and Farisi, I didn't come up with it myself uh, and so Tamara Gray I think posted this um, Salman long story short, Salman um, he, he grows up as a fire worshipper right, like he's a Zoroastrian fire, fire is really important to him grows up like that, his family doesn't let him out of the house they want to protect their child, so on and so forth he gets out, he finds the Christians worshipping and he likes it. He's like, their worship's better than our worship. His family doesn't want him to do it. He leaves his home, flees, says, where's the most, like, where does this religion come from? They tell him it comes from Sham, from like greater Palestine region. He's in uh, uh, Asfahan area, if I'm not mistaken, like, you know, Persia. And they tell him it's in Sham. He tells him, he flees and he leaves everything. All his family, all of his wealth, everything, he goes to Sham. He gets to Sham, he asks him, who's the most knowledgeable person in a religion? They tell him so-and-so. He says, I went to so-and-so, I told him my story, I asked, can I stay here and learn from you and serve, serve you and the people and so on and so forth? He said, yeah. He said, so I stayed with him for a little while and I realized that he's a horrible person. And I stayed with him for a little while, I realized he's a horrible person. They give him the money, he steals the money, he keeps it for himself, he doesn't distribute it to those who are in need, so on and so forth. He's like, then I stayed there, a little bit of time passed, and he died. Then they brought a new person, and that person was the best of people I saw. And I stayed with him, and I learned from him, and he died. And I asked him, who should I go to? And he sent me to someone. He went to like three or four different people. 
all of them were good. But the one that he went to in the beginning was bad. Like he had a bad experience with the religious leader. And then he went to the next one, it was good, and the next one was good, and the next one was good. Then he had another bad experience as he went, they told him no one's left. Go to the areas of Arabia, there's going to profit that's going to come there, so on and so forth. So he tried to go, he got sold into slavery. Like he literally had to be sold into slavery to go and meet the Prophet ﷺ. They carried him to the land, straight to the land where the Prophet ﷺ was going to come. And as soon as the Prophet shows up in, in, in Medina, actually in Quba, some of the narrations they say that Salman actually met the Prophet ﷺ when he was in Quba before he even got to Medina. He heard about him and he went there and he took him the gift and he told him, here's, he knew that the Prophet will accept gifts and he won't accept sadaqah. So he takes it to him, he gives him, this is sadaqah, I heard you guys are new here. Here's some sadaqah, the Prophet gives it to his companion, he doesn't eat from it. Then some time passes, they come into Medina. Salman goes again and he gives, so like, all of this is happening in his story, it's really remarkable. All of that was to say that the Prophet ﷺ accepts gifts, he doesn't accept sadaqah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Next section is on Haya al Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Kana ashadda hayaan min al bikri lati lam tunza' udratuha fi sitriha. Some things in Arabic, I'm not going to translate it directly because in English it sounds explicit. Apparently for the Arabs it wasn't explicit. I mean, Allahu alam. But it had to not have been that way, otherwise they wouldn't have expressed they wouldn't have described the Prophet that way. But essentially what it's saying is that the Prophet was more shy than a woman who's never been near a man and is in her secluded space. Like she's she's totally isolated, never been near a man before, and he's more shy than that, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's that's the Prophet And these narrations they say that he he, forgive me, but it says that he never looked at his wife's private parts, nor did they ever look at his. There's narrations that Aisha says like they, that that didn't happen. They they had too much hayat for that. It's very interesting, you know, cultural differences and stuff. But that's the that's the Prophet was like that, very very shy. The next section is on the cupping of the Prophet uh, it says that he used to cup, he used to practice cupping, you know, like in uh, wet cupping, you know, where you, you put the suction thing, you slice and the blood comes out. Um, and uh, he used to pay the person who does it their fee. So he would do it and he would pay their fee. There's narrations that talk about like he had it done um, like on the side of his neck and between his back and stuff like that. That he did it. That there would be like a number of cups, you know. How did he translate this just now? You found a translation, huh? Yeah. Which one, number two? Uh, the third one. Uh, he would have cupping performed on the 17th, 19th, and 21st day of the month. Yeah. Sunnah Allah. There are actually uh, five Sunnah spots. Hijama. I've done it. You've done <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are five <laughs> spots. <laughs> yeah, the people who, who have that knowledge. They have that knowledge. It's not uh, as common anymore, you know, but it's it's still good. Yeah, some places they still have these things. There's some people locally that know these things too. Uh, he even made hijama one time when he was in Ihram. He was between Mecca and Medina, and he got, he had his cupping done. So all of that is on his cupping. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Next section is on his names. So we have his names, we have his age, and we have his death, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and his inheritance, and that's the end of the book. So 
his name sallallahu alayhi wasallam he has many names he is muhammad sallallahu alayhi he is ahmed sallallahu alayhi he is al-mahi alladhi yamhu allah bihi al-kufr he is al-mahi so muhammad is the one who is praised the most right or who is often praised and ahmed is the one who is praised the most or praises the most depending on how you look at it and mahi is the one who eliminates uh, he's the one who eliminates because he's the one by whom Allah eliminated disbelief. He is an hashir الذي يحشر الناس على قدمه. He is an hashir, the one who people will be resurrected with or towards. Like he's he's the first to be resurrected, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the people will follow him. He says like he'll be he'll be resurrected. He comes out first, and the people that are buried right next to him come out first. Then he goes and gets the people of Baqiya. And then they go and they meet the people of Mecca who are buried in Mecca and then they you know that's like how the resurrection occurs, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he's an Hashir, he's al Aqib, the one who he's the last, the one who there's no prophet after him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He is the messenger of mercy, he is the messenger of tawbah, of repentance. Um, he is the one who comes after other messengers, Al Muqaffi. He is Nabi uh, Malahim. He is uh, the the prophet of war in a sense, right? So he's he's the prophet of mercy and he's the prophet of battles. He had many battles, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Sheikh Abdul Hay he says his names are many, uh, to the point that some of the people of knowledge said that he has a thousand names. Some of the books in the old books you can find like names and names and names. And in the end, kulluhum in sifati, sifatin qamat bihi. That they're actually descriptions of the Prophet ﷺ. They're qualities that he had, that he embodied, and they call him after that, ﷺ. So he has all of these kind of names. Uh, he says, except that Ahmed, uh, Muhammad is the one that's most beloved to people. And it's the one that's most well known, ﷺ. Except that Ahmed is actually the one that comes before. And uh, <coughs> he, he does this little breakdown of like, like Muhammad and Ahmed are like a zahir and a batin for Allah. Like Allah has external and internal, the the outer and the inner, the first and the last. Like these names of Allah subhanahu wa taala often have this balance of like majesty and and beauty. And he says that basically Muhammad and Ahmed are like that for the essence of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That one is very beautiful and one is very strong. And uh, you know he he talks about that a little bit. <coughs> And then there's like a really long section on uh, some poems about that. But that's he has many names, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Most prominent are Muhammad, Ahmed, and then Mahi, and then Hashir, and then Aqib, um, amongst others, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As for his age, the most strong opinion that most people know is that his age was 63 when he died, right? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Anyone know? What the sixty-third chapter of the Quran is, off the top of their head. Anyone? No. <laughs> Good guess, but no. Muhammad is forty-seven. I think. Just Google it. Your abs. Huh? Munafiqun. There's a verse. Sheikh Abdul Hay. He says, "استخرج بعضهم عدد عمره صلى الله عليه وسلم من قوله تعالى ولا يؤخر الله نفسا إذا جاء أجلها." So he says some of the people they they 
they said that this age of 63 is, is you know, the strong opinion on his age. And then they, they recited this verse where Allah says, when, when, uh, when a soul's time comes, Allah will not delay it. And it's in Surah Al-Munafiqun, 63rd chapter of the Qur'an. Uh, you know. And then after that comes the Surah Al-Taghabun, which is the Surah about like... Uh, uh, when Taghabun relates to the Day of Judgment, that the, the, one of the names of the Day of Judgment is the Day of Taghabun, which is where every party that's involved feels regret. Yeah. Every party that's involved feels regret that they could have done more, that they could have done this. Right, like uh, there's always more they could have done, or they regret the things that they did do. And so he says that the 63 is the the chapter that mentions the death of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and then the surah that comes right after it is taghabun, li faqtihi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This you have this regret over his passing sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's just a nice little point. Take it or leave it. Uh, okay, that's that. Next section is the death of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Mata yomul ithnain. He died on Monday. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Born on a Monday, died on a Monday. <coughs> As he was leaning on our mother Aisha radiallahu anha. Uh, At that time he used to, there was like a little pot of water and he used to put his hand into the water and he would wipe on his face and he would say, Allahumma inni ala sakarat al-mawt. He would say, Oh Allah, help me with the, the pains of death. Help me to withstand the pains of death. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Um, then they had some debate over where to bury him. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr, he said, then he heard him say, That uh, he heard the Prophet them say that wherever, the, basically wherever the Prophet dies is the place where they're supposed to be buried. So bury him in the place where he died. And so they buried him in the room of Aisha radiallahu anha. <coughs> when he died, Abu Bakr came to him and he kissed him between his eyes. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he lamented his passing. Wa Nabiya, wa Safiya, wa Khalila. You know, all these expressions of like, oh, the Prophet is gone. Oh, the close friend is gone. Oh, the, the one who was true to his his covenant. All of these kind of things. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then he was buried uh, the next day. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They said during the time of his sickness, he goes through a big debate basically to say during the time of his sickness Sayyidina Abu Bakr was the one that prayed, led the salah of the people and was leading the people during the time of his sickness uh, As to his inheritance مَا تَرَكَ إِلَّا سِلَاحَهُ وَبَغْلَتُهُ وَأَرْضًا جَعَلَهَا صَدَقًا So he وسلم, didn't leave anything other than his sword or his weapon and his riding animal, his mule and a piece of land that was made as charity. He didn't keep it. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَقَالْ لَا نُوَرِّثُ مَا تَرَكْنَاهُ صَدَقًا The Prophet ﷺ said that we, the Prophets, we don't leave inheritance. Whatever is left behind after us, it's charity. And, uh, and of course, the other narrations say that the inheritance of the Prophets is knowledge. That, that that's, that's what they leave. That that's why the, the hadith says al ulama wa anbiya 
that the, pe the, pe the true people of knowledge are the inheritors of the prophets. Prophets didn't leave behind wealth, rather they left behind ilm. They left behind knowledge, true knowledge. Um, that's why we said also, I think one time this, uh, I think it was Abu Hurairah one of the companions, they were in the marketplace and he started to call the people. And he was like, what is it? I see you guys here. You're, what is going on here? And the, and the inheritance of the Prophet them is being distributed in the masjid of the Prophet. And all of you are here. The inheritance is being distributed in the masjid. Go, go, you know. So everyone gets up and they go to the masjid and all they see is like study circles. <laughs> and he's like, they asked him, like, what do you mean? He's like, that's, I thought you said his inheritance. He's like, that's their inheritance. His inheritance is the, the knowledge that he left behind, sallallahu and this is, you know, in general, it's, it's if someone wants to love the Prophet them, if someone wants to serve the Prophet them, then they do it by bringing back the knowledge of the Prophet them, <laughs> And by, by finding sunnas of the Prophet them and bringing them back into life. You know, making them part of their own life, making them part of the people's lives. There's a narration of disputed authenticity, but the Prophet them said in it that whoever... Um, brings back one of my sunnahs that has been forgotten, then it's as if they brought me back. Right? So they just uh, that's that's a really good thing to do. It's also a good thing to do for someone that you learn from. If you learn from someone, then don't worry about getting them gifts and all these kind of things. Just do the things that you learn from them. You know the good things you learn from them, just do them. Don't worry about all the other stuff. All the other stuff oh nice throw G C MashaAllah. Just do that. The last section that they end with, or he ends the book with, um, is the section on s the dream visions of the Prophet sallallahu He said sallallahu alaihi wasallam that uh, whoever sees me in a dream, then they have actually seen me, because the shaitan cannot take my form. Shaitan cannot take my form. Otherwise, anything you see in a dream, it might not be true. <laughs> right? It's really important because some of us, we live our lives around our dreams. And we're really committed to our dreams. And believe me, shaitan can mess with you in your dreams. He can mess with you. And sometimes not like some people that may not be the best people in the world, they might mess with you too. That's, I know it's hard to swallow, but uh, it's been experienced. So, uh, you know, it's not really worth it. <laughs> like, if you feel like it might be true and it might be good, then alhamdulillah. And otherwise, alhamdulillah. And in the end, you can't make any decisions based on it anyways. Because that's what the sharia is for. Like, we live right here in reality. It's more important for us to follow the sunnah of the Prophet them and do what he tells us to do in the, in the actual world that we live in, rather than to get too distracted with things that we can't actually substantiate. That's a good general principle. Like Ibn Atta'ala, secondary, rahimahullah, he says that uh, it's better for you to have to show wuf, to it's better for you to be like worried about the diseases that are hidden inside of you than the issues of the unseen that you don't know about. So like instead of worrying about all these spiritual things and stuff that you're not really sure about and there's like a lot of ambiguity around them and everything, just forget all that stuff and worry about the diseases you have in your heart because that's a lot more immediate for you. And... Uh, yeah, so he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, but, but when you see the Prophet sallallahu then you saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa How do you know if it was him or not? Read a book. The I mean, that's what we just read, right? We just read all this stuff. That the descriptions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa are very clear. 
and you know his beard was a certain length, his hair was a certain length, his structure was a certain way. His feet, his hands, you know, they, uh, you know, may Allah give us uh, the blessing of seeing him. There's a whole thing here that's not really so relevant. We'll skip over it. Um, then the author, Sheikh Abdul Hay, after that hadith, he says that um, you know he wants to end the work uh, by narrating a hadith of the Prophet I believe this is also the last hadith that's in Bukhari. Someone might know. It's in one of the collections he made it, the last hadith. But in any case, he made it here, the last hadith. And that's the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he said, كَلِمَتَانِ حَبِيبَتَانِ إِلَى الرَّحْمَانِ خَفِيفَتَانِ عَلَى اللِّسَانِ ثَقِيلَتَانِ فِي الْمِزَانِ سُبْحَانَ وَبِحَمْدِ سُبْحَانَ So sometimes they like to end works with these kind of things because they're practical. Right? So this hadith is a very beautiful hadith. If you noticed, it kind of rhymes a little bit. It says two statements. They're beloved to Ar-Rahman and they are light on the tongue and they are heavy in the scales. Subhanallahi wa bihamdi and Subhanallahi nazim. Subhanallahi wa bihamdi, Subhanallahi nazim. So you just repeat them 10,000 times in a day. You know, whatever you want. It sounds like a lot, right? But if you actually like sit down and do it a hundred times and tell me how long it takes you to say Subhanallahi wa bihamdi, say it a hundred times, it's probably going to take you like what do you think? How long does it take to say it once? Subhanallah, bihamdi. Maybe a second? It's going to take you, like, let's, let's be generous and say it's going to take you two minutes to say it a hundred times. So, how long is it going to take you to say a thousand? Twenty. How many times are you driving, so and so, like driving here, driving there, walking here, walking there? It's not actually, sometimes when you hear these things, you're not used to making dhikr, it sounds crazy, but like when you actually start to do it, you realize it's not actually that much. You know, it's like I mentioned when I was. Teaching the Burda before, uh, one of our teachers, I asked him, like, what should I do to prepare and so on. He's like, look, I already know you have commentaries and stuff like that. What you should do to prepare is you should make, uh, I forget what he said, maybe like 200 or 500 salat on the Prophet It's just some number, you know. And I wasn't used to doing that at that point in my life. And he said that and I was like, man, that's a lot. You know, like, how am I going to do that? That's so much. And you sit down and do it, it's like five minutes. But like, where's the you're gonna you're gonna give a lecture on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, but you can't make salat on him? Are you gonna come? Like, it's not that much actually, and we spend our time on it, and then you know, it's yeah. better than a lot of other things we spend our time on, anyways. In in Sahih and Bukhari, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. So that's the last hadith in this collection. We end with it. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa sallallahu wa sallam Ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Salatin tunjina biha min jami'il ahwali Wa nafat wa taqdilana biha jami'il hajat Wa tutahiruna biha min jami'il sayyat Wa tarfa'una biha indaka ala darajat Wa tubalighuna biha aksin ghayati min jami'il khayrati Fil hayatu ya ba'da al-mamat Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin Fil awalin wa salli alayhi fil akhirin وصلي عليه في الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم 
Alhamdulillah in the Binamati hit in Musani hat. Alhamdulillah in the Binamati hit in Musani hat. Alhamdulillah in the Binamati hit in Musani hat. Allah Murfilana, the Nubana was Rafana Fiamina with a bit Akadamina, Allah Mubarakina, Bena, Elephina, Kurubina, was Sufina, Allah Mufikla, Yenema to Hibu, who were Tarda, Waja Alamina, Abidika Suada, Wachtam, then a Hatmish Shahada, where Metna, Alakani Matan Huda, Allah Mussani was Sana Mubarak, Allah Sayyidina Muhammad, Kudwatina, was Swatina, was Sayyidina, Habibina, was Shafina, Ya Rabbi Sunni was Sana Mubarak Ali, Ya Rabbi Sunni was Sana Mubarak Ali, Ya Rabbi Wafikna Ila Ilaktidae Bisunati. اللهم وفقنا إلى اتباع سنته وفقنا إلى اتباع سنته ومن سن ومن سلك سنته يا رب العالمين اللهم قربنا إليك قربنا إليك وقربنا إلى كل من يقربنا إليك وإلى كل عمل يقربنا إليك يا رب يكون معنا ولا تكون علينا أنصر إخواننا المستضعفين فيكون مكان أنصر إخواننا المستضعفين فيكون مكان كن معهم يا رب العالمين أيدهم يا رب أنصرهم يا رب يا أرحم الراحمين يا أكرم الأكرمين نسألك يا ربي أن تجعل هذا الكتاب حجة لنا لا علينا اجعله حجة لنا لا علينا اجعله حجة لنا لا علينا يا الله we ask you to benefit us through this book and to make it a proof for us and not against us Allah we ask you and we praise you and we turn towards you we ask you to send abundant praise and blessings upon our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we praise you ya Allah by the, by the blessing of completing any good deed all of it is from your blessing ya Allah we ask you, Allah, to give victory to those who are oppressed, to give aid to those who are suffering, to give facilitation to those who are facing difficulties. Ya Allah, we are your weak servants who have very little to give, and yet here we are learning about your beloved Messenger, وسلم, hoping that, we want, that you will give us the tawfiq to act upon his way in our lives. We ask you, Allah, to accept from us and make this a means by which we come closer to you and by which we attain blessings from you and gifts from you and mercies from you. Ya Arhamun Rahimin. Allah, we ask you to protect us and to protect our families and our children and our loved ones. We ask you to draw us close to everything that will draw us close to you and draw us close to everything that will draw us close to your love and draw us close to everything that will draw us close to those things that you love. Allah, we ask you to be with us in all of our affairs and to aid us in everything that we do. We ask you, Allah, to accept from us these little efforts that we have and to give us the ability to continue to do more and more. Allah, we ask you to accept from all of our teachers, to forgive them of their shortcomings, to accept from them their best of deeds, to protect them from all slips and mistakes. Allah, we ask you to be with them. We ask you to give them the reward of the things that they taught us and the things that benefit other people in their lives. Allah, you know that one of them, used to, we used to go to them and he used to say, Insha'Allah, we will read many, many books together. We read many, many books together. We ask you, Ya Allah, to give us the ability to read many, many books with the people and to benefit from them and to act upon them and to, and to make them part of our lives. Allah, we ask you to bless this space and these gatherings. We ask you to bless these people and to protect them. We ask you, Ya Allah, to give us all types of good and to accept from us and to keep away from us all types of harm. We ask you, Allah, to make us th from those who follow the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, and we meet him such that he is pleased with us. We ask you, Allah, to allow us to meet him such that he is pleased with us and to give us tawfiq in all of our affairs. Al-Fatiha. <laughs> 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 <laughs>